If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review and tap the follow button so that you never miss an episode. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to RFRX, the best night of the week. Miss Helen Green, how are you doing this evening? Good. I'm doing wonderful. How are you, my friend Cara? <laughs> I am doing well. I am so glad to be here on our favorite night of the week. What have you been up to lately? Nothing exciting. <laughs> like, like I had a shit week last week, so this is a new week. So I'm going to embrace the new and move forward by starting off on my best night of the week and kick some ass and talk about logical fallacies and all that type of shit, which is some of my favorite things to talk about. So let's get going so I can forget about what a shit week I had last week. Yay! Yes. And by hanging out with some wonderful people. <laughs> I fully support this. That's what we're all doing here. Helen, are you ready to introduce our fantastic and amazing returning guest? Oh, I totally am. And so I am going to introduce one of our wonderful, wonderful returning guests. His name is David Teachout, and he is a mental health therapist and photographer focused on teaching how creativity intersects with mental flexibility and working through the inevitable difficulties in life. David grew up in a Christian fundamentalist, attending a Bible college, receiving a bachelor's in theology and psychology. During his studies there, David deconverted and has been on the journey of deeply appreciating the many nuances of hum humanity ever since. David has a master's in both forensic psychology and counseling psychology, and is currently at work on a doctorate in clinical psychology. David has been actively working within the field of psychology as a therapist, social worker, advocate, and subject matter expert for over 15 years. In his spare time, David enjoys reading a copious amount, both fiction and nonfiction, exploring perspective through photography, and maintains a blog at www.lifeweavings.com and a podcast at www.humanitiesvalues.com. So David, welcome. Thank you for being with us tonight and take it away. Thank you for that. That was good, weird because I mean, you write your bio and then you hear it like, oh, I want to tweak a couple of things about <laughs> that. But yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. So it yeah. It sounded uh, pretty impressive to me. <laughs> don't it, change anything of, you don't okay all right yeah it's one of those things where you hear the stuff you say and you don't need to go oh no wonder i'm busy like okay like <laughs> there it is yeah There's forever that. forgetting what i end up doing um but yeah uh the blog is at lifeweavings.com the podcast yes is at humanities values but um you can listen to it literally anywhere um, I took a bit of a hiatus from making episodes and just released one uh, about a, 10 days ago and working on another one because, um, you know, there's been a few things in the news. So um, like to tackle all these things from a psych perspective. Um, in fact, I was just joking with uh, uh, and not really haha, but joking with my wife the other day about um, I recently have transitioned to being a full time therapist and coach. And I'm you know, just in the last like three weeks. And I'm like, of course, I had to pick the time to do this um, when, you know, everything blows up so socially. So it's uh, been, yeah, actually the timing could be good because there's a lot of people out there that need to chat and happy to connect. 
So, but at the same time, it's like, wow, there's a lot of heavy stuff out there. And well, yeah. from thank you, because you know, we need more people of you right there because the world is crazy and we need more supportive, caring people in the world. So, thank you, David, from you know, <laughs> all of us that appreciate the work that you're doing. <laughs> I am certainly not for everybody. I will put that out there. <laughs> You're for somebody, David. My style is you know, what it is. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, so the, what we are here to talk about, so the title uh, is Intuition and Simplicity, uh, Why It's So Enticing. Uh, and in many ways, given the fact of just how much things have been happening just in the last couple of years, uh, you know, we've got plenty and plenty and plenty of examples. Uh, but I'm actually going to try to stick with examples and poking at things that may in fact be the quote unquote sacred cows uh, of more secular ideas because if we're not um, uh, if we're not challenging ourselves, then really who is? So um, always a good thing to practice. And in fact, we'll get into that a bit more why that's important. Um, thank you, everybody, for, for going through the questions. I always have fun coming up with these because they're silly on purpose uh, a bit. Um, they are to inspire some thinking at the same time. Uh, it's to get into just a fun mood because, um, as uh, you know, was already mentioned, if you have questions, you can put them in the chat. I will endeavor never to, to say your name, um, <laughs> but I notice a question that is really relevant. Um, I try to be as organic as possible uh, in, in the presentation because I want to address as many of them as possible. And I will be hanging out afterwards uh, for a while, so which is always a lot of fun. We get into some pretty fun chats uh, there. So if you have any like mental health questions in particular, uh, stick around and we'll, we'll kind of go through that. Um, okay, you did that to yourself, David. You're going to be I here did. all night I did. now. <laughs> You know, after so many years studying this, I either one love it or or I need to be committed. So <laughs> I'm just gonna stick with loving it. And we'll stick with option we'll, one. We'll stick with option one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love the fact. Uh, thank you for the 13 out of the 26 that said that the military metaphor makes me queasy. Um, in that last question, uh, we'll actually go through that. If uh, I'm gonna be looking at uh, Julia Galef's, uh The Scout Mindset book um, uh, fairly, uh, you know, a lot in the latter half here. Um, so if you haven't encountered that, I remember right, she may have actually presented uh, on AFR. Ooh. Did she? You know, you no? put me on the spot. I, it is quite possible. Um, mm. Okay. I know Somebody... I've mentioned her more than once. Um, and, and Rob may have, and others have definitely mentioned, um, but uh, highly, 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 highly recommend. I was going back through it again today in preparation for tonight, and it, yeah, got me between the eyes a couple times because um, I have not been <laughs> doing uh, great recently on some of the principles for being a scout and really caring more about conversation than about being right. Um, well, and it so like it's a nice may, way to, yeah, yeah be we need to have on her on if we haven't previously. So, good, yes, good plug yeah, that there. Would be an amazing coup. Um, yes, so, yeah, you know well, that you're using a lot of military uh, metaphors there, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm stuck on it. Like, I mean, it's gonna be, yeah, like, we're, so gonna, we're gonna 
Rather than both that puns. Bridge. I was going to yeah. say, we're not doing both puns. <laughs> military puns this evening, I see. Okay, okay, chat. You have your assignment. You have your you order. All right, I'm standing you. at attention now. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. All, right. All right. Everyone hop to. <laughs> okay, promise not to derail it. I, I don't <laughs> promise that here. at all. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Let's uh, let's get back to it. Tell us, tell us. David, I totally about... set that up. So we're, we're yes, good. you did. Um, you so did set yourself up for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're like, wait, how many people are still around? Awesome, we still have more. Awesome, we haven't all left yet. Um, so looking at you know when people talk about or, or you know one of the best uh, most mentioned things, particularly when you're first leaving religion, often is this whole thing called Occam's razor. And, you know, in this idea that, well, supposedly simplicity is uh, what we want. You know, it's what is the almost synonymous uh, with truth and we wanna go there. Unfortunately, of course, uh, Occam was never actually about uh, the simplicity. That's a, a bit of a misnomer that's kind of been carried along. It's kind of like, the notions of, you know, uh, you know, the Alaskan Inuit have, you know, 100 words uh, or in growing on snow uh, that you only use 10% of your brain and a whole bunch of other canards that just won't die. Um, and so what what Dr. Razor was really looking at is going at is you do not multiply. This is my own phrasing about this, but do not multiply assumptions. And here's the key in an unwarranted way. Mm. so it's not that assumptions are bad it's not that assumptions are inherently problematic or lead you away from finding uh and i hesitate to use the word truth here i definitely am using it in a lower t kind of way um but uh, i'm getting away from the absolutism but uh you know and it's a this is a heuristic it's a way of organizing one's analysis. It is not a hard and fast, like absolute rule to be applied as a bludgeon um, against anything that simply appears simple to you or that might, uh, or might appear complex because, and here we have it, what exactly do those words mean? You know, what, what is the nature of simple? What, is you know there's so um <laughs> lowercase t true yes absolutely <laughs> um <laughs> and so and part of this is is that you know it's like okay well what are we looking at when we think about simple are we thinking about it from a functional standpoint i mean for that matter if anybody has heard and i'm totally going to date myself by this reference uh, but michael behe uh, in the you know intelligent design community, he was huge uh, like 20 years ago, I think, maybe 25. I'm gonna stop there um, before <laughs> really show how old I am. But you know, it's like he was huge uh, back in the day when things were really ramping up with with intelligent design, and he was famous for having. I think it was him. Um, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But he was famous for having used this idea of a well. Um, mousetrap idea what well, you can't it's irreducibly simple you can't get any simpler for it to its particular you know usage therefore you know god must have you know created the universe it's a little more oh. complex than that but 
but that's just it. It's the, the idea here being is that simplicity when looked at from a particular way is not in and of itself capable of pointing towards truth. And we know this because many people are in fact looking and using this principle to promote any number of things that are like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Because part of what's going on is the notion of, well, what is going on here with what assumptions are needing to have this done? And in fact, um, you can look, I think YouTube has a ton of videos on this, but it's basically filled with people who actually use the mousetrap, removed even more mechanisms from it, and was using it primarily for like tie pins and a whole bunch of other things in order to show the fact that you could actually make it even more simpler. So in fact, this is kind of a ridiculous example to use. Um, oh, but, this is yeah. like the, uh, the, I think it was Richard Dawkins that has the book too, where he, he does the same thing with where mm -hmm. people are talking about, oh, well, how could the, the human eye have developed? It's just, it's, it's yep. too complex. It clicks. It, yeah. Yeah. And he yep. shows how there's this whole long range of other less complex structures that, that perform similar functions as an eye and yep. that become more and more, you know, not simple, but I guess. And in fact, I love that example. <laughs> so thank you. I didn't, I didn't cue you for that. So, you know, you're fine. But, you know, I'm here for. Yeah, it works. Um, but the example is great because the, you know, the eye is depending on where you start in your point of view, perspective, uh, eye point of view. Anyway, uh, is, what there. that's what it is. Uh, this, this, this is what education gets you. This, this is I see I like. you. Yeah, yeah, this is what copious amounts of students get you. Lots of puns. Um, is, you know, and this is where we get into simple as far as biological. From what perspective or point of view is there something irreducible? And it's going to depend also then on functionality. And that was part of the fun in looking at both Dawkins and several others who've done an amazing job of looking at, wait a minute, yes, if we start here, it's complex and like, wait a minute, this is it's a little nuts. At the, but we can keep going and note that at each stage, we can see the you know, functional utility of you know, being able to determine just simply light and dark to mm -hmm. then shadings, to then depth perception, to then, you know, it's just like you go all the way, I'm not a biologist, so <laughs> I start losing the track of that, that, that example, but, um, but you can start seeing this. Now, at the same time, though, it does point us in the direction of like simplicity is not, well, simple. You know, persimony is not as simple as, well, it sounds correct it sounds simple right therefore it must be because then we get into what are the nature of assumptions i know like wait a minute where are we all going to go here and part of this has to do with what assumptions are you bringing to the table what are the ones that you aren't even fully aware of in fact one of the things so when i was a believer um you know i went through a and i think many many you know do you go through a, you start with like evidence demands a verdict. You've got, you know, McDowell's books and you thump them over people's heads. And then eventually you realize, eh, there's some issues here. 
And then you delve into like presuppositionalism. So you're getting into, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things, Clark and uh, getting into, you know, Lewis was a little bit into that. Uh, he was also an evidentialist. But anyway, um, there's actually a really great book written by a Christian um, about how evidentialism and presuppositionalism cancel each other up. Um, it's fantastic. And I will eventually remember the title, but it was a great way of looking at why all of their philosophy doesn't work. But anyway, um, interesting, fantastic. And so, but you go into this presuppositionalism where you're going, okay, well, you know, my, for instance, epistemic principle is, you know, the word of God. Literally, that is, in a nutshell, what they're saying. And, but of course, here's a great example of what assumptions do you start with? How simple is the notion of, well, just because you claimed simplicity over simony, does it really mean, um, you know, where this, you know, is it really mean what you think it means? And thank you for the Princess Bride uh, reference. And, you know, the, the, in the idea they were being, and they were, even at the time, it started dawning and it's going, well, wait a minute. Okay, so you have, say, the word, i.e. the Bible, which, you know, was part of a King James only group. Um, that's a whole other thing in another time. But, you know, it's like, okay, you're reading this thing. Here's God's word. But what are all the rest of the assumptions that you have there? That your eyes work? That you're capable of understanding the words that are on the text? So there's several other epistemic principles that you're having to assume that have nothing to do. You have to do prior to even getting to this point of being able to read. Then you have to, you know, look at, well, that not only that you understand the words, but the words that are on the page must therefore mean the same thing to the writer as it does to you, which is then we've got a whole bunch of, you know, interpretive issues and everything else. And then even further, it's like, well, that the words that we are then supposedly in um, uh, that we're agreeing on, in fact, mean the same thing then as they do now and in perpetuity, which we know if anybody has, wants to have a lot of fun on linguistics, highly recommend. John McWhorter has a has a um, a weekly syndicated thing. So I think I think the New York Times. Um, where he goes into the history of words and he's got a, a class as well on like A through Z and he goes through the history of various words that are associated with each letter. So much fun. He's got a dry wit and really what things used to mean. Crazy. Just really just lots of fun. Um, yeah, well, lots and I of mean, fun. you make a good point there, too. I mean, I know that we'll go off on a tangent if we get too far down this road. But I mean, to your point about words not meaning the same thing, I mean, when you read the King James version of the Bible, there's not only words in there that are not words that we currently use in, in common English today, but then how far away are those from, you know, the meaning that was intended hundreds to thousands of years ago. And like mm -hmm. that one example being, I know people have argued that the term, you know, virgin birth was a mistranslation of the word virgin, meaning, you know, a, a young woman or, or something like mm -hmm. that, where, that's a huge misunderstanding if, if people bit. got that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's the classic example of, you know, homosexuality, you know, the, the, that it was a really bad translation. Um, I mean, it's just like, there's a whole thing. Honestly, it's one of the reasons why I don't get into a whole bunch of proof texting 
um, or debates because it's whatever you want to make out of it. And so I'm much more interested in taking a look at, well, why do you feel the need to have it mean this for you? <laughs> Rather than let's get to the heart of what this really means, because there is no heart of it. Like it's, it's, it changes as time goes on. Um, and yes, as somebody noted in the text, uh, McWhorter's thing is Lexicon Valley. Um, and it's also a great podcast. Uh, he has a fabulous voice. Uh, I can listen to him all, you can probably go to sleep to him. So you can just, you know, whisper sweet nothings to me and I'll, I'll be great. Um, but uh, it's that. really a lot of fun with that. Um, so part of what's going on here then is again, this, yeah, how simple ends up being extraordinarily complex, which hints a little bit at the admittedly poorly worded initial poll question um, and going, hence why there was, an, there was an option of something smells bad here. Um, because it's really, nothing is that simple in the sense of uh, it's largely based instead then on perspective and what are you trying to get at in your, you know, your inquiry. And so, and this is why, you know, if for instance mentioned small TP, you know, Truth, certainly legitimate concept, but what exactly is it? Is it unchanging? And we start hesitating around the big T there. Um, how, you know, is the correspondence? Is it, uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, internally, you know, uh, referential? Is there functional, functional contextualism? You know, do you go into some of the postmodern stuff? I mean, it's just like crazy, crazy, crazy. And we've, uh, and there's plenty of other, uh, good presentations that I believe have been on RFR that have gone through some of those things. Um, their shout out to go see the other hundred episodes. Um, yes. <laughs> and so, um, but the difficulty here beyond even the fact that, uh, you know, simplicity ends up actually being quite complex most times is that <laughs> the brain doesn't care. <laughs> It just doesn't. It, it is not concerned with the concept of truth. It just, it, it is not. It is instead a functionally predictive machine. It is interested primarily in figuring out is the, is the reality that it is aware of in any given moment prepping you for having the resources available to deal with what it believes is coming next next, maybe tomorrow, the next day, a week, a year from now, whatever. But if what it believes is coming next and determining then, okay, well, uh, here's now your, uh, you know, emotional reactions to dealing with whether or not you have the number of resources available. Hence why for all of those who have been um, unduly and ridiculously and awfully affected by some of the rulings, uh, that have occurred in social change going on in the last week, if you found yourself not having as much energy for doing things that you otherwise were previously, if you find yourself, you know, having a heightened anxiety response to things that otherwise didn't bother you, if you start, you know, delving into a depression, you're like, where the hell is this coming from? It was fine. All of that is a response to the increase of an uncertain future. And so your brain is looking at that future and going, I thought I had the resources based on my past, i.e. the last 50 years of, uh, you know, constitutional right, anyway, um, that, you know, that I could keep going forward. 
with with this understanding of how reality functions socially now that's cut out and so what ends up happening then is there is a period of time and it depends on a lot a lot a lot of variables but there's a period of time in which you have to find a new state of equilibrium where you're going okay i am now a little bit more stable now as to figuring out what resources i need in order to then deem, you know, uh, figure out how to deal with this new future. And that is going to require at minimum new experience and operating for a certain amount of time in this new world, as much as it sucks. So just as a caveat there, it's been coming up a lot in sessions recently with clients. And so you just really want to do a kind of a PSA around if people are feeling it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there's something inherently wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you know, all of a sudden you've contracted some new mental health issue. It means that your body mind is dealing with what is now a bit more of an uncertain future. And it's Ooh. going to take some time to figure that out. So, yeah, I appreciate that. you mentioning that. I think that is definitely something that's been on a lot of our minds lately. <laughs> so that is definitely encouraging to know it's you're saying it's it's not us that are broken it's it's the world well yeah <laughs> when broken is <laughs> a judgment i don't disagree with it but at the same time it, yeah it's and we'll get into actually some judgments here in a, in a little bit how that works um yeah <laughs> yeah it'll thanks david i'll say my therapist some effort tomorrow you can send you can have the therapist send me the send me the uh check then it's great. Hey. Uh, I'm more than happy to, to help out with that. Um, anyway. I'm taking a commission. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Yeah. Finder's um, fee right here. Yeah. <laughs> and so part of then, you know, this stems then into or, or bridges then into from kind of epistemic assumptions and going into, well, the state of being or let's throw out another $5 word ontology. Um, and we're figuring out like, wait a minute, if our brains don't care about truth, doesn't mean truth isn't important. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that biologically speaking, that the, the, the higher concepts there that are largely contingent upon social mechanisms and relationships and so on, brain's really not, that's not its focus. It's not the point. And what it is, is um, figuring out like, okay, so we have bodies that have you know, great data reading uh, tools, i.e. our senses. And, but they themselves are building some of the data that we consider. For instance, we don't experience the world in the way that we see it. <laughs> we are experiencing it, or, or we experience it at one level, the eyes are already, from a biological perspective, interpreting things a particular way. In fact, so there was a, um, uh, I love, and still do, I love fantasy novels. I love magic. I love wizards. I love like just, oh my God, it's so much fun. And one of the things, particularly when I, when I first started reading was uh, The Once and Future King. And, you know, where Merlin turned Arthur into a fish and turned him into a bird. And you're like, okay, figure out how the world functions. Well, <laughs> it's a great literary tool for uh, figuring out, you know, ooh, I'm going to come back to that question about favorite not fantasy novel in a bit. Um, but, you know, it's a great literary tool figuring out, like, let's get into a different perspective. But if you actually ponder through, like, what would this mean 
Like if you were to literally, like if you really like, let's just take it, if I were to turn into a fish, clearly I no longer have the brain that I now have. I no longer even have the, clearly I don't have the body that I have. So this gets, a, gets we could totally do a tangent on what it means to upload consciousness into a digital realm, but anyway, totally other thing. That's afterwards. Um, but, you know, it's like we don't have a body that, that works within the world in a particular way. And we don't have, then have a brain that is interpreting through that, those mechanisms, that bodily mechanisms, then in a particular way. So any truth, even if you were capable of being conscious, which i got to admit, that would be disturbing. Um, but even if you were conscious as a fish, you, you wouldn't be able to actually translate that back in any con, like conceivable fashion um, to a human experience. Like it just wouldn't work. Um, in fact, uh, if anybody saw uh, the show, um, um, oh, now I'm forgetting, uh, but it was called, but it had to do with sleeving and it was a sci-fi and where it was people got put into new bodies. Like they were digitally put into consciousness and, um, uh what's the the guy who played uh, uh westward westworld carbon. Oh, yeah alter carbon. carbon yeah alter carbon oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah fantastic book series highly recommend uh not my favorite still really good um but the tv show is fantastic and the but the books go into it a little further where there's a form of punishment from this guy who was extremely sick was to actually put the and install a person's consciousness into like a snake Oh. And then pull them out months later, and they'd be insane. Like they just they they couldn't deal with that kind of functional difference in how they were interpreting the world. Mm. And so there's you know it was a fascinating you know uh, psychological experiment as far as like thinking through like is there a biological limit to what we're capable of you know, experiencing and still maintaining our sense of humanity. Yeah, food for thought for drinks later. Um, but, you know, right now we come, since going off field, is come back then and going, okay, so we're particular creatures. We're living in the kind of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Newtonian middle world of physics, you know, and because we don't actually experience consciously quantum collapse. So, even though it's going on. So we're constantly dealing with this, the raw stuff of what our biology is allowing us to give. And so this is why, for instance, like we have issues with eyewitness testimony. Mm -hmm. In fact, lawyers tend to hate it, <laughs> despite what, you know, some of the TV shows um, love to portray, like, oh, the eyewitness, shut up. Like, just yeah. you, we don't want to hear from you. We'd much rather deal with what is ostensibly referred to as objective, uh, you know, evidence. And so why? Well, because we're terrible at um, actually coming up. And in fact, how memories work are in, there's a, um, a quote from, yes, very much off the flawed and open to interpretation. Um, so from Julia Shaw's book, uh, The Memory Illusion, highly recommend. Uh, she's just an amazing scientist. Um, and she, she mentions in the book, our brains piece together information fragments in ways that make sense to us and which can therefore feel like real memories. This is not a conscious decision by the rememberer, 
rather something that happens automatically. Two of the main processes during which this occurs are known as confabulation, i.e. self-referential lying, <laughs> deception, and source confusion, i.e. not entirely certain where this piece of information may have come from, um, but I think if it serves my memory right, right there you're probably wrong, but if it serves, then I probably remember to hear, this is where I got this, uh, and or this is who I heard it from, and so on and so forth. This is why, oh. incidentally, um, yeah, you really need to have good references on academic papers. No but, kidding. This yeah. is why, it, so is source confusion, is this why sometimes I find myself telling a story to someone and then halfway through realizing they're the person that told me that story? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I thought you would think this is interesting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I told that to you originally, but the spin you put on it is great. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I love what you've done with it. Like, yeah. This is great. You're saying <laughs> I remember it perfectly? Oh, no. Or you're talking, like you're you're talking to someone and um you're it's you had the same experience but both of you remembered it completely differently <laughs> and 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 there's gaps and like like no no we went to applebee's no we went to chili's no we went to applebee's like you went out to dinner and you know it's a chain restaurant but you won't get the name of the restaurant right <laughs> yes. and you'll even remember it like you were saying like your brain will insert details where like you're thinking no i had the ribs i always get those at chili's no oh, yeah. you didn't <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And in fact, that good example again. I need to have you on here. This is this is this is good. This is good. Um, I don't even have to tell you the examples to use. You just do it. Um, so, One of us is psychic. <laughs> I'm fearless. I'm a fearless psychic. <laughs> I have no fear of my psychic abilities, David. <laughs> it's That's how I. Feel fill in the gaps because I know everything I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works. And so what in fact what you're describing is that confabulation we are piecing things together in a way that makes sense in the present because that's how we're trying to figure things out we're not the brains don't care enough about the past other than as a useful tool to help us figure out what we need in the present to deal with an imagined future or a projected future and so memory is not a, uh, a roll tape idea. It's a um, really a biological heuristic. Um, so like there's a question around, does the brain create a more pleasing memory as a coping strategy? Absolutely, it can. Um, and if, that cope, if the coping, if the pleasingness sir, has served a purpose in the past that was helpful in dealing with what you imagine a future is needing, so, because the opposite can be true, brain can supply a continual source of awful memories, making things worse than they actually were. If in fact, what it believes based on a number, this is where the, how trauma will actually kind of become self-referential and uh, builds off of itself is because, and this is not a failing of anybody, we'll make that clear, it's just how things work. Um, but it will often feed on itself precisely because the brain is going, this is going to keep happening. I need to keep reminding myself that I need to hunker down and make sure all my resources are set because the world is a shitty place. And I know that true because that's all I'm remembering and that's what I'm basing it on. And I keep getting that, you know, reinforced with further damaging. So 
that's like and that's does that lead back to like when people go through traumatic they'll like they'll reinvent it in different ways in their lives um mm -hmm. you know because it's just because the memory is there and they and yeah. we and we want and we like pattern and we like things to make sense so mm -hmm. even through trauma we're trying to re repeat patterns because it, it, it might be scary but at least it's fam familiar <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we really 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 as a species hate uncertainty and it's just which which makes sense once you you know get to the implanted memories here in a sec but because it, it goes into this is that you know it makes sense from a biological perspective because uncertainty means the lack of predictive ability to make sure that your genes are going to continue on and that's really all it's concerned with at a at a very basic level it's not that there aren't other concerns um, but it, but at a very big, like that's what it's there. And if we're uncertain about how it can pass this along, well, then everything else is just for shit. Like it's just really not going to matter much. And so it's so the consistency there, the fact that, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, thankfully the ensuring of. In fact, I'm not really all that insured, you know, concerned about my genes passing on at a certain level because I got fixed, you know, 20 years ago. But, you know, it's, um, but regardless of whether or not we consciously are kind of working through some of these things, biology doesn't really care. Uh, there is a little bit of an epiphenomenological thing going on here. Not completely, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, and so back to, in, and this is where part of the, you know, implanted memories can happen. And in fact, Shaw, uh, back to Julia Shaw and, and several others, one of the things that they do is really have stated, she unequivocally will state, it's really best to just simply, you know, acknowledge that we have no actual real memories in the sense that they're 100% true. Like just, just, it's better to just operate <laughs> from the perspective that nothing we remember is 100% accurate and you're going to be better off in, you know, being able to have a, you know, concern yourself with a greater humility around how you approach yourself and others and around judgments and around how you make decisions because that's even the, the number of times that you might be is so infinitesimal that like, why bother? Like it's just, it's really not um, helpful to even think about it that way. So we can just all kind of operate. Like everything I remember is probably in some degree false and that's okay because um, it's true why get all hung up about it <laughs> um so um but her and loftus and many others i mean it's amazingly easy to implant memories it really like it is stunningly easy um i actually have a few myself that i can still recall that i know are fake like i know they're real but if how I do you spend, know uh, i went back and referenced um some of the people before and was like just having they're like um, now, granted, I could say that, you know, what they think, you know, could be, but um, given what the memory entails, I'm like, no, that was definitely not. Uh, this is not what happened. Um, then the memory was entirely legalistic and, you know, and here's one of the, here's one of the rules, and we'll, which we'll get into in a second here as well, is like anytime you start having certain things where you're telling the story, then it happens to be egoistically pleasing. Mm -hmm. Odds are 
probably not as real as you might think. Um, we really what? like to portray ourselves as better than what we actually are. You mean so, I'm not the hero of every life event I've ever been involved in? What? In your story, I'm sure. You are the yeah, hero of your own story, Kara. That's <laughs> the rest of us. We are all special little snowflakes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that. Yeah, the satanic panic was one that was huge in, in fact, part of, there was a documentary around uh, two or three kids that, if, I, if memory serves, um, they actually did get uh, the death penalty and were put to death by the state. And it was entirely based on conjecture over they wore like Satan t-shirts in the town, they were in a small town. And it was like, no, you must have done this murder. And they clearly didn't. But in retrospect, but at the time it was like, oh, here you go. So, hence one of the reasons why I'm not a <clears throat> advocate for the death penalty. But anyway, yeah. well, um, and on that yeah. note too, isn't that one of the things that the uh, the Satanic Temple now like has as one of their mm -hmm. their big projects is you know kind of bringing awareness to the possibility of implanting false memories and all of the the fallibility of all that that drove the yep. Satanic Panic. Yep. The other kids that were getting interviewed by child psychologists and stuff like that, and they were planning memories of like child abuse that never happened, mm -hmm. you know, and it caused people to get like, you know, sentences and um, put, in, put into prison for a long period on, mm -hmm. on just conjecture yeah. of people just yep. feeding kids bullshit because kids are trusting and they will do things to please adults and, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and they were never molested. Yep. Yeah. And in fact, in order to be horribly relevant. Um, one of the reasons why, I mean, why do you, you know, you see, for instance, when you go to uh, more pro-life clinics kind of thing, and they, you know, why do you see images of supposed, you know, babies on these billboards and whatnot? And they're like, this is what you're aborting. No, that's a 24 week, uh, you know, no, this, this is, it's just it's it, it, but the idea there is that once you've seen the image once you've made the association they have implanted the emotional connection in a deliberately manipulative fashion that is in that is largely inevitable we are just we we're prone to looking at you know baby faces in a particular way and having a you know having an emotional response we you know all of this is about engendering a particular response so that later on some of the doubt and concerns and so on that you have in some capacity to varying degrees are manufactured by the influences that were put on you and so it's and this is why advertising works <laughs> this is why you know, politicians spend a ridiculous amount of money on ads. And we look at them and like, who falls for this shit? And we're like, actually, you don't have to fall for it. You just have to be influenced a little bit, you know, by it. Because mm -hmm. there have been plenty of times I've like, go get healthcare, like Planned Parenthood. And there are protesters yeah. out there showing up like, Dead, dead fetuses, you know, and even though I know they're trying to, they're it's just a bunch of propaganda, but like my emotional response instantly is it's, 
it's, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. And I'm not even going in for an abortion. I'm just going in to get a pap smear done, you know? And I have to imagine if you're in a highly emotional state and you don't have your brain on and you're making very tough decision and the culture is telling you what you're doing is wrong. You're killing a baby when really you're just killing, you know, you're getting rid of um, cells, you know? It's that difference is... It, it, it's uncomfortable for people. And if you don't have your brain on and kind of be like, yes, this is emotional reaction, but let me work through it. People sometimes only respond to emotion. Well, yeah, there's a lot I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, general, <laughs> I'm, I'm being general yeah. about this, yeah. you know, and, and, and generally you're spot on. And that's where, you know, in order to bring this, we haven't gone off field. We are still talking actually about intuition and simplicity. And because, and why is it, enti- and this is a reason why it's enticing, because if you can engender a, a, uh, you know, consciously simple response association, then you have helped influence this person. That's one of the reasons why it's enticing. We like things that are just, oh yeah, you know, and here's where we get into, I know Rob uh, has, has done a great overview of, of um, her biases and all the cognitive issues before and others, um, you know, uh, in other presentations. And it's like, what intuition is, <laughs> is a, um, it's basically, it's a baseline impulse of a mind that is completely convinced it cannot be wrong. And um, that is what the heuristics and the biases and the stereotypes and so on and so forth come into play. As soon as, if, if anything is coming automatically, anything's coming immediately. So you have the proximity bias, you have the immediacy bias, you have, you know, all of these things that are then going, well, isn't this simple? Is it, you know, it, it came so simply to mind, didn't it? Therefore, it must be true. Oh. And if you can influence that in any way, hell yeah, that's a lot of power to have. And when you want to push an agenda, and this is everybody, everybody uses it. This is not like a mere, like, you know, it's only those, you know, conservatives that are doing it. Literally everybody does. Um, and we just happen to agree, if, you know, with using it, if, you know, we happen to agree with point. Um, we'll get to that actually in a second. But, you know, but we're all doing it and we're all bringing things up. Like, why do we, you know, tend to wear certain clothes on a date? Why do we, uh, you know, um, you know, portray ourselves in a particular way during a job interview? Why, do we, why? Because we want people on the other end of this dialogue to have as simple of an intuitive, you know, basic automatic response to us as possible that we had an influence in generating so that we can guide the story that is being made between us. And that's why this whole thing is so enticing because it's powerful. Well, yeah, that's, that's actually, a, I feel like a really significant point that you've made. I mean, it's almost kind of scary to think, um, you know, based on what you just said, you know, it's, it's so common for people to say things like, you know, trust your gut or, you know, something like that, you know, go with your gut, you know, saying, trust these, you know, intuitions and, and thoughts that you're having. But if, as you say, that that is primarily being generated by these unconscious biases and assumptions that we have, then 
it almost sounds like it's more likely to be wrong or you know not true with a little t that's kind of terrifying well and that's where we come back to the brain's not interested in finding truth it's it's interested in finding a functionally consistent way of moving forward like Mm -hmm. you know it's i'm not generally a big fan of quoting ayn rand but you know, she had a point in uh, um, uh, in for the new intellectual, I believe, is where she said this. Probably said it in other places as well. But um, you know, where it was like to be rational, and I'm totally paraphrasing, but to be rational, to work out what it means to be reasoned and try to be objective, is effortful. It requires work, which is why most people don't do it. <laughs> Now I will, and and it's largely true, and and it's not, and you know I don't want to. The caveat to all of that is that really what we're doing is we are being, in fact, rational all the time. We really are. It's not like, you know, our emotional brains take over. It's not that there's some you know war that's going on, or it's that there isn't two things at work. There is one thing at work that doesn't actually work the way that we'd like it to be <laughs> you know we we like to think of ourselves as uh you know as rational creatures um and in fact we get this oddly enough a little bit from christianity um because one of the re- one of the things that uh homo deus um you know in god's image and so on that we were supposedly created was in our rational faculties so this whole notion of we are these, you know, rational, uh, you know, objective beings that can parse out the truth of the world is unfortunately still a hangover from, you know, some apologet- you know, apologists uh, from 16th, 17th century or so. Uh, it could be wrong there by 100 years or so. But, you know, it's around, you know, it's, it's in there. It was for the purpose. How do we separate ourselves from the animals? Well, because we have brains that are rational because the animals aren't. <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert, you're still an animal. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this whole preoccupation with what makes humans different from animals is so funny yeah. to me because every time we we seem to pick out what that is, we subsequently discover, oh, no, wait, these animals do that too. <laughs> right. Like if you find out, like if you watch like um, corvid birds or um, that actually plan, you know, like how to get like, you know, certain things of food and stuff like that. Like they do plan, they, and they ration, rational things out. Octopuses, rational things out. So it's just like, yeah, like we're not that special. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to tell you, <laughs> sorry, spoiler yep. alert. <laughs> spoiler alert, we're all animals. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. In fact, so this and this brings up taking a look, trying to take a look at the time, um, is that from uh, Julia Galef? I love the Julias, just the way it is. Um, his, her book, uh, The Scout Mindset, is that uh, you know one of the things like no, just because you think you're objective does not mean <laughs> that you actually are or you're being rational. And so she said, in fact, viewing yourself as rational can backfire. The more objective you think you are, the more you trust your own intuitions and opinions as accurate representations of reality, the less inclined you are to question them. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, basically, I love bringing double, that up. don't be so arrogant. That's the thing. Well, and it's, yeah. you know, there, there, there is arrogance, but there's also a, 
let's just recognize that again, our brains are not concerned, not consumed with finding out truth. Truth is a fantastic conceptual idea that we that have been that has been extremely helpful in creating well the fact that we're literally possessing the power of gods right now like we are all over the country in real time conversation and visioning like if you were to take the internet and zoom meetings back to greece like they they'd be like are, are are you like we need to expand the pantheon here like you have you have taken on the power of gods and made it normative mm-hmm. and it's just a rather astounding thing and we've done that by having these ideas around truth and the idea that our thoughts should you know the scientific method is how do we correspond do our thoughts actually represent through experimentation and probabilistic, you know, theory, closing closer approximations of how we then actually find ourselves dealing with reality. And so it's hugely helpful. It's been amazing. But at the end of the day, brains don't actually care. Like that takes a lot of work (laughs) to keep at this, which is why it's so easy to get into that kind of soldier mindset, came back to it, um, and the idea of treating ideas in a warfare and why it's so, you know, uh, uh, unhelpful in this process, because warfare is about um, taking, uh, you know, ownership of and of, of parcels in order to then make sure it never gets taken over by another. You know, it's about that if, you know, if you are attacked, and if you give up your your position, you are now weak. Mm. How is that helpful? No, we, we actually want to be weak in that sense when it comes to considering our ideas about ourselves, about the people around us, about how we go about having dialogue. We want to actually consider ourselves as weak in that sense. Hence the movement away from a soldier mindset where things or a constant battle to one of what's out there? Like how, what more is there to discover? You know, not gonna get into criticisms of some of the new Star Trek, you know, shows, but the, the quality here is still, I'm a huge fan of the Orville, just gonna say that. But anyway, yes. you know, it's like the quality here really is about like, there is still that, that core kernel of going out there and going, no, our fundamental drive as human beings is to discover and figure out both what we uh, believe is true, actually ends up being true and being thrilled. <laughs> and at the same time, what we believe is true just is and being thrilled <laughs> for that as well, like actively engaging in. And, like, you know, I'm excited to be wrong. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. It's well, amazing. I, like, as I, I was talking to you know um some friends like a few days ago and i said like i want to be corrected like if mm-hmm. like if i'm making a wrong statement please tell me i don't want to look like an idiot and i and i trust that other people have may have more knowledge on a subject than i do because you know there's only so much information you can take in and you just kind of get like this layman's understanding like we all naturally accept 
that the, the earth is a globe but how do we know that like what is the mm -hmm. actual science that's behind it like we just assume it but then when you actually learn how that was discovered and why the science works behind it your mind that one little thing of just yes we live on a globe but once you actually learn the science and why we why the science is sound it just expands your brain a little bit more mm -hmm. instead of things like it's just obvious that we live on a globe you know because yep. you, you're talking to someone that doesn't think that they're going to be like no it's not that obvious you know yep. well and in fact that statement well, isn't it obvious is really just a a uh phrase synonym yes i just coined that um for you know well isn't that simple isn't i mean it's it's the isn't that shouldn't that be an intuitive point like, like obviously right i mean why do you even need to think about it it's obvious like, well, wait, no it's it's really not in fact i mean this is why i love one i love photography uh just as a as an art form but i love it as a way of expressing and exploring perspective. Because especially when it comes to um, like digital photography and editing, is that when you, you know, recognize, and there are some great uh, videos out there on YouTube for like showing the editing process. And people can take like a shot where you go, there's nothing in that. Like it's just, it's just shades of darkness. And then they'll, you know, expand the exposure and expand the, you know, the, the highlights and the shadows and, and figure all this stuff out. And before you know it, you've got, oh, there's an entire forest and a bridge and maybe some animals over there. And you've got this whole picture because the reality is when shooting in raw, there is so much information there that as you edit, you are picking and choosing what information to highlight or darken and what to emphasize in order to make and portray the picture as you want it as an artist. You know, it's it, Rick Salmon, famous photographer, has noted that, you know, photographers are essentially light artists. You know, they, they are using illumination, i.e., I mean, let's just say it's a stand in for, for inquiry to discover what you think you saw but are still trying to figure out <laughs> like, did I actually see this or perhaps did I see it? And now there might be a different way of looking at it. And so we're going to highlight this and we're going to like blow up that. And it's just, it's a phenomenal way of being able to work through and you don't need a really expensive camera. You can do this actually with most phones these days, um, some basic editing software, but you just start working through like, I really considered where that was. And if, that was there and i didn't see it then what else is going on <laughs> that i you know that i haven't seen and that should cause us some concern of any time anything starts feeling like well isn't it obvious or this is simple or you know this should be clear to anybody right well it's not and quite often it's not a personal failing it's just simply again biological machines the information isn't there and further it's not there because information isn't just the isn't the solution here necessarily in fact galif goes into and there's plenty of others who have gone through this as well is noting that oddly enough more information so for instance she uses the example of global warming or global climate change whatever you know and she's 
you know, she goes through and notes how when you crunch the, you know, it's often typical to hear the, well, if you're conservative, you don't actually believe in this and so on. And it has to do with, well, if you just know the facts, you'll get it. Well, you crunch the information of the polling and you parse out the information as far as the number of people who actually then are aware of scientific understanding and the numbers don't actually change much. In fact, if anything, they get wider apart. The more information a person knows, generally speaking, means that they are even more partisan in their opinions. So simply sharing information to people rarely works. Sometimes it does, but it, it works not because of the information being shared, but because of the other things going on the social influences, the relationship that you have with them and so on. All of these things are far more influential than any number of data points that you can throw at somebody. And in fact, it's, yeah, <laughs> I know drones, like really, it's so much easier to throw facts at people, like come on. Yeah. And yes, the Colbert Report reality is a little liberal bias, of <laughs> course, said by a liberal. Um, is the easier to do that. Um, and so the last couple of minutes, you know, so some getting through all of this and going, okay, well, what are some principles for, um, yes, do your own research? Yeah, well, and in fact, why does that not work? Because even if it's decent research, the research that you are going to look after, the evidence, because it still is evidence, is going to unmiraculously support the conclusion that you were wanting in the first place. Like to really change one's mind is a, if, there, if the term miracle can actually still be used in a secular way, that actually is a good life, you know, is a good place for that because it really is astounding anytime somebody actually changes, which is why in some ways we should all pat ourselves on the back uh, that we left religion beyond. Anyway. Yeah, that's um, a great like, point. You know, so would you say that having that kind of scout mindset approach is part of what makes it possible to change your mind? Is that mm -hmm. kind of what you're driving at here? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And in fact- Tell us how. And, yes. So in <laughs> fact, um, as Galef notes, um, you know, being able to name, say, reasonable critics, being willing to say the other side is a point this time, being willing to acknowledge when you were wrong, it's actual actions. You can talk about being objective. You can talk about rash being rational all the time long. I don't really care. I, I really don't. And I'm saying this as much to me as, as much because I love saying that. I'm like, God, oh, I'm trying to curb some of these things because it's just not actually helpful. It's the how are we re reacting to people that actually distinguishes, as she puts it, people who actually care about truth, lower T, from people who only think they do. And mm -hmm. so some of those actions is like, so do you tell other people? when you realize you're right how often have you gone out of the way once realizing that somebody was accurate to go wow yeah you're right thank you for that that's, that's great Ooh. you know how do you react to personal criticism do you take it as a personal affront that your identity is about to be shattered or do you take it as a hmm okay i mean maybe well, let's let's delve into this you know a little bit uh, or as much as you can in a given circumstance. Um, three, like, do you ever prove yourself wrong? 
in the scene. Intentionally <laughs> or accidentally? Constantly. I know I'm wrong all the fucking time. All the time. Yes. All the time. I'm like, oh yeah, you're an idiot, Helen. I'm like, teach, teach me Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yes, the cell phone is, is, is something that, that happens to me occasionally. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, do you take precautions to avoid fooling yourself? You know, especially if you're about to enter a situation where, by and large, you've been right most of the time before, at least you think you have been. Like, what, you know, have you taken, like, yeah, you know, I really, really want to be right this time. What can I put in here to kind of curb that tendency, you know, in me? You know, do you have any good critics? You know, this, this went into this, maybe it was the second polling question. Like, how often do you actually ponder and look at people, you know, and read and listen and watch and so on, people of different uh, perspectives and different political persuasions and people that otherwise you might not want to have a drink with. Um, but hey, you know, this is the, you know, steel manning thing is, is often is you know, being looked at. And, and lastly, can you point to occasions in which you were in the soldier mindset? little counter there there it is can you point to occasions in which you were in the soldier mindset because we are all going to sink into it we just are we're going to take positions and hold that fort and consider any kind of movement as some kind of weakness or problem in who we are it's a bone deep tendency that we all have but he recently just had <laughs> reading her book was a bit of a, a mea culpa um but, you know, it's like recently just had where it's like posted this article and somebody made a comment about it uh, on, you know, social media where humanity goes to die. And, you know, it's like, um, and it was an absurd thing about some global conspiracy. And actually the article was averted. Really what it is, is this, you know, mass conspiracy of people who are billionaires looking to run our lives. And my initial response was just be like, I'm, that's really the funniest shit I've heard all day. And to, to say that that was not helpful uh, in having any kind of legitimate conversation buries the meter in obviousness. And, you know, tried to salvage it, didn't. And, you know, and on one hand, it's like, yeah, do I still find the position ridiculous? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, I do. At the same time, there is a difference between finding a position ridiculous or or at least probabilistically near zero <laughs> and and treating it as if it's a as if it's a cornerstone of their identity because then I'm falling into the same error that gets me into trouble and if I if I could add a principle on this is that we need to think less from an identity perspective and more from the pursuit of being wrong so for instance, every time we, we perhaps can catch ourselves going, I'm an atheist. Really? Maybe you are, but does it be this? And from that, I believe this. Every time we start there, we make it more difficult to question what we believe is so. Even if we might be right, it's totally fine. We might be, but is the pursuit here an issue of being right? Or is it about facilitating the space for further conversation in order to allow for more people to have flexibility 
so that we don't you know, persist in this soldier mentality where at the end of the day, if that's all we have, then all we have is violence. Mm -hmm. Eventually that's where it leads. And that is not going to be helpful for small L liberalism and creating a society where a whole bunch of people of varying opinions and various craziness can get along. I mean, I love what is it? one of my favorite. So here it is. One of my favorite, the sci-fi series would be the Dune series uh, by Frank Herbert mm -hmm. to varying degrees, the follow-up books by his son. Um, and one of the things that was absolutely fascinating about it was his conjecture that even 10,000 years into the future, they're, you know, they're, they find themselves being helped out by Jews. No joke. Like <laughs> they have interstellar consciousness um, driven interstellar travel. And you literally have people who are still functioning to waiting for their Messiah. And you're going, no, I can see it. Like, it may not be, you know, them necessarily. This was, you know, this was an affectation from Herbert, but, you know, it was like, but he's like, no. And if we can still have that and still be able to have all that, they have interstellar travel and figuring out all these things, like, is it really the end of the world to have a bunch of crazy ideas out there at times or things that are probabilistically near zero? No. And in fact, the more space we allow for people to just go, yeah, you know what, could be, um, but you don't have to, you know, raise arms about it, uh, the better we get along with actually being able to move forward anyway. I mean, it's, it's a often criticism of the difference between what has often happened with a lot of historical reasons for this, but that what Christianity in many ways has done and Islam is now going through is having an enlightenment where in many ways, what they've done is uh, in, in most circles, contrary to the circles that are running the Supreme Court, but anyway, most circles, it's less of an issue of this militarism and more of a, can we just get along? Because they've taken on the secularism of you know of what worked because it allowed them to continue functioning without the burden of having to constantly fight. And the less you have to fight, the more freedom you have to be able to express. Man, I love that. Just just that idea that you know your some belief or thought that you have doesn't have to be your identity. It's I so simple. <laughs> but it's really, really really difficult. But we've had these conversations before where when you start attack like if you if you're coming from I'm right and I'm going to tell you why I'm right and you start attacking someone to bring them over to your side and you're not listening to them. You just want to be militant about it and be like, no, I'm right. Me, me, me. You're like, you're believing in God is stupid. Me, me, me. And let me bring you over to my side. You're one, you're not going to change their mind at all. You're not going to even yeah. get them to see even 10% of your perspective because yeah. you're attacking them and nobody wants to be attacked. And two, it's like, I don't like, I don't think someone that believes in God is right. But I'm willing to, but I'm willing to say, I don't know. All you, that's it. That's, that is a good, even position to come from. I don't know. Even if, because you're just trying to 
get them to kind of you're just trying to get along and to kind of see where the other person is coming from and as soon as you start thinking you know everything and you already and especially already know what they think that is a bad place to start from because you can you don't know somebody else's mind and as a is it's just bad mojo don't do it guys don't do it i'm tell your fearless psychic is telling you not to do it <laughs> she knows things i know so. things <laughs> well, in fact using the example from gail's book uh, again as far as the uh, you know global climate change is concerned and when you first started like overall there's a decent amount of consistency and 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 um, uh, agreement that this is existing and this is occurring and we need to you know deal with the effects of it and so on. It's when you start making it part of an identity, when you start adding even more information and making that information a part of whether or not you are therefore then belonging to the right group basically the new no true Scotsman fallacy writ large into the problems of identity politics, which all sides do. And it's like, well, as soon as you longer have room to question, I mean, I've reflected before in the past that had I been a part of a Christian group that was extraordinarily liberal and allowed for any number of questioning to exist, who knows if I'd ever left. I mean, really, it, part of leaving was not being allowed to and ask certain questions. You know, like, no, 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 you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Well, wait a minute. Now I'm, now I'm definitely leaving. <laughs> like, I want the freedom to be able to have my own inquiry. Thank you very much. And so, you know, we want to create that space as much as possible in allowing for that flexibility because at the end of the day, actually in many cases end up agreeing more than we don't man that is that is a really good point i really like the way you put that and and you're right why maybe we should be careful not to take on the attitude and and posture towards other people that that pushed us away from <laughs> from some of our former beliefs in the first place yep yeah well okay before we go to questions what do you have any other thoughts to leave us with or or any other points you want to make? I mean I can keep on going, but no. <laughs> it was uh that was pretty good. We've got some pretty good questions that I was that skipped over there in the chat. So Kara oh, Froze. Make. There you froze. Oh, there you there you go. Okay, there you are. Oh, We're, okay. Sorry. Am I back? <laughs> Your brain was uploading. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not a lot, so it shouldn't take too long. <laughs> <laughs> that bandwidth needed to kick in. That's all. Yeah. yeah that's um, well, I was just going to say this has been, you know, really fascinating, and we do have a lot of good questions. And, mm. and the one that I am most interested in hearing the answer to is the one you promised us. You've been teasing mm. us. Um, what is your favorite fantasy novel or series? Yeah, it's difficult to say it's fantasy. Um, I mean, Lord of the Rings will always have, uh, like, it was the first fantasy novel I ever read was Fellowship of the Ring in, like, third grade. Um, and it's Love been you. <laughs> As a children, I love you. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Um, 
but uh, have deeply appreciated uh, uh, Sanderson. Uh, Robert Jordan uh, has in his Wheel of Time series is just phenomenal. Definitely criticisms, but it's just incredible. And in um, uh, Sanderson, who took it, who finished it up, and then he has his entire Mistborn and his whole Cosmere thing that he's got going on, where all of his books are related. Um, it's just insanely complex and amazing uh, characters and dialogue. Uh, it's it's really yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. Okay. So you've given us more than one thing to check out. I, I approve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Bible's not my favorite fantasy book. But, it's yeah. terribly written. Yeah. The dialogue. Yeah. needs an editor. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chapters don't all flow. So, and the prote- some of the protagonists are not somebody you want to get behind. <laughs> <laughs> what was it who was it that said that, that the old testament god is the most unpleasant character in all of fiction mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. yeah he has anger yeah. issues he needs to work out <laughs> like, yeah. like he's a therapist you know, you know glass uh, of yeah. wine. <laughs> I, I look at the new testament god as like the old testament god's beard you know <laughs> right, he, right. There, yeah he's serving as god's beard um, in order to make you think that it hasn't, it's gotten better. No, no, it's a yeah. trap. It's a trap. Yeah. yeah. So, um, David, what are some methods to separate emotion from um, such information? You don't. Oh, well, that, was <laughs> a, that was a simple one. <laughs> and I get, I get this question, some variation of it all the time uh, in therapy and in coaching. And um, it is just flat out a misnomer that reason and emotion are at some, are counter to one another. It's simply not the case. Um, And what what emotion is, is a, there are two aspects of it actually, but one is the label we apply to our felt experience around it. That's where we get into emotion words. At, at a biological level, what we have is, you know, various states of arousal, lower, high, and varying states of uh, what Skousa refers to as balance, or what is in what it means is is um, the intentional weight on something. So, and that's contingent upon, again, based on previous examples that the brain is aware of, understood through the present in order to, uh, to figure out whether or not you're gonna be able to deal with the future. And so you can never get rid of emotion because it's constantly there, you know, providing the impetus that allows us to go, that's important. And now I'm gonna have a whole, you know, ad hoc or post hoc uh, rationale about why that's important to me. When really it was your brain telling you, by the way, pay attention, this is important. And so if we, what we want, and what I think often what is actually meant by that question is how do we um, not react in automatic ways that end up being uh, unhelpful and unhealthy when we feel like we've been overwhelmed, when, we're, when the, the arousal of the state is so huge that we engage in behavior that we mm-hmm. reflect in cooler moments later, like, oh, that was pretty dumb. Um, and part of this is practice. 
And that is practicing slowing the F down. Like literally when you're not in a state of like full on uh, fear or trauma arousal of whatever state that may be is taking a breath. Like it can be as simple as that. Like before you and go from room to room and even your house or apartment or hotel room, you know, it's going, okay, what do I want to do here again? All right, I'm going to be doing this. Why am I doing this? Oh, because I care about, uh, you know, hygiene because, you know, I'm about to go take a shower or brush my teeth or whatever. And it's like, why am I going? Yes. Well, because I want to get food. Why am I doing that? Well, I'm entering this room because I want to talk to my spouse or my partner or whatever. It's slowing down to consciously take ownership of the actions you're about to do. So that even if you do end up doing the, the, the behavior that was just on it came up that's fine but at least you're owning it you're taking responsibility for it and the more often you do this the more often you create the space later when things are heightened you get into the habit of going okay i'm really pissed off right now totally legit every single emotional reaction internally is always always legit it's what we do based on it that now has a question of legitimacy and, and we're not even necessarily legitimacy so much as, is it going to serve <laughs> what you wanna serve, i.e. the values that matter to you in the way that is best for the situation? And we need to be able to slow down and create the space for that flexibility to come up. And in fact, somebody asked, what's the point of, you know, like what's the purpose of imagination? That's it. Imagination is the cognitive power of being able to flexibly respond to new situations in, in order to situations in new ways. That's what imagination is fundamentally. And that means why it's so good to engage in new experiences and new you know, uh, ideas and getting out and having conversations with people from wildly different cultures. Because the more possibilities that imagination has to take a hold of, the more possibilities we then have to extrapolate from those and make new things in, you know, from what we've done in the past. That's what it all boils down to. Wow, I really like that. I, I wrote that down in the chat, what you just said there about imagination. That was good. <laughs> that was yeah. Awesome. Okay. Good. Yeah, so here's, Here's another one then that someone just asked about, um, and I'm kind of curious to hear your answer to this as well. Um, someone was saying that they're having a hard time actually finding arenas where they can find a genuine discussion of conservative ideas. So, for example, they find all these sources like uh, Turning Point USA, Fox News, R slash conservative, etc. Uh, but these, I think the, the, what the questioner is asking is, you know, these seem, you know, very, very kind of polarized in, in a particular way. Um, but, but they're having a hard time finding, you know, uh, a place where they can actually have a discussion um, mm -hmm. about these ideas and actually engage with them in a productive way. Do you have any suggestions for how people can kind of get out of their echo chamber, but yeah. not into the, out of the frying pan into the fire? I so as far as groups to go to, um, it's really tricky 
uh, groups by definition tend to <laughs> tend to not be really great uh, for for having group conversation, oddly enough. Um, and I mean, you can look for there are there are groups out there that are around like um, around uh, the impossible having impossible conversations. Uh, you know, go through that you know, book and and use it. And if it's done well, you can have some really fruitful conversations around that. Um, but uh, really, I go to certain sources. So like, um, I know I've probably mentioned before in a different presentation when I was asked something similar, actually, um, Tom Nichols, uh, you know, uh, he wrote uh, The War on Expertise. Uh, he's written a couple of others as well. Um, it's just he's, he's a old school Reagan conservative who is a never Trumper um, and just a fascinating mind. Um, and he's got a couple of recent articles, actually, who just went after the Supreme Court and what they've recently done. Um, as a conservative, like he is full on still very much, and, he, and he's actually, a, and he's a believer as well. Like, so, but he's one of the most thoughtful people I've ever encountered. Um, David French is another one uh, that I recently more encountered and cannot recommend him enough. I certainly don't agree <laughs> with everything that he says, but his analysis, in fact, he recently had a, uh, he was interviewed by Sam Harris on Harris's podcast. And I cannot recommend that one enough. That that was a hour and 50 minutes of amazing analysis of, of the, uh, you know, religious influence, why Trump uh, rose up in such, you know, in such, uh, why this person who on the face of it is, utterly anathema to everything they stand for and why they fell for it. And um, in some of the ways that have, have gone in, the changes in gun culture, they, they went all over the place. It is fascinating. In fact, it actually, it made me shake my head and made my, my wife laugh um, because um, there was a point that French made that I totally missed in the analysis of all of it. And it was, and I missed it precisely because I have actually gone away from seeing how Christianity is so pervasive in American culture, um, which, which I consider good that I've gotten away from that. It's no longer like always in my head all the time, but at the same time, because of it, I ended up missing this point. So when French um, uh, made it, I was like, right, like that's, there it is. Like, there's, so absolutely amazing. Um, I do believe it was, it's, uh, uh, I think Harris made it uh, outside of a paywall. So I think you, anybody can listen to it. Um, but uh, uh, ah, a couple of people are leaving. Good night. Um, but yeah, he was the chosen one. In fact, and it was prophecy, in fact, that French notes is played a huge influence. And one of the difficulties is that, um, uh, the notion of prophecy and really any, even any understanding of Christianity doesn't largely exist in most liberal institutions. I just really don't consider it. Um, in fact, there was an example, there was a, somebody who back was early nineties or so, maybe no early two thousands because I, I had moved on from Christianity by then. Um, but I think it was, um, it was an interview late night with, um, uh, uh, with, uh, let's forget his name, but she was going through like the notion of the rapture and, you know, the notion of, you know, this premillennial theology and this, <laughs> I forget what it was, but he looked at, lean over, it's like, people, 
people believe that? <laughs> she, I think it was a woman, she was, it was some book that she was promoting and she was like, yeah, millions, millions do. And it influences their voting behavior and it influences the policy decisions they get behind it. Goes, and he's like, and he, he was, he was Letterman. Uh, and, and he just looked at her like she'd grown three heads. Like it literally just, he couldn't compute what that meant. And that is unfortunate, really. Like it, it's unfortunate that he couldn't because it, it's a, such a huge blind spot uh, in far too many people in institutions. So you're like, this is being an influence. And if you're not seeing it, you're gonna miss and get blindsided later on. So. I mean, like, I would love to live in the bubble. <laughs> I want to live in Letterman's bubble of not being fully aware that a huge voting block lives in prophecy and, you know, biblical. Yeah, they're waiting for revelation to actually be a thing, you know. So, you know, that's concerning. I want to live in the bubble where I don't know about that, <laughs> but I do. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I sometimes being an informed person isn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> yep. Well, and it's it's that you know where is a comment that I made you know recently around um, you know Europe had its hundred year war in, you know in, in in order and one of the one of the consequences of it was to recognize just how much religion should not be a part of political you know social life and. Unfortunately, barring other variables of which I'm still minutely positive for, um, nobody ever, you know, uh, can you know uh, mistook me for 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 a uh, uh, you know raw raw positivist. But um, is that uh, we could be you know really looking at our own kind of fifty year version of it where you know the the ascendancy of certain ideology for a lot of variables um yeah is going to be up and and it's going to take a whole generation to really kind of go oh so this is how bad it can be oh hell no we are not doing this ever again and unfortunately in the process a lot of people are going to be hurt to just awful degrees and i hope it's not true but yeah that's where we're at and the more we understand it, the better better we can do to to deal with it and, and create the space for it to kind of drift away and get so and, and dissolve amidst all the rest of it. So, yeah. So um, I'm going to move on to the next question. <laughs> no, I know it's a thing. Right, so the, I think you <laughs> well, to the I love, thank you. Uh, I, sorry, I'm about to say your name. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yes, join a commune, uh, watch porn together. I, I, can, I can get behind this. Yeah, yeah we, can, we can do the, the porn commune. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's our version of Disney. Come on. It's exactly. It's we, we, yeah. we garden yeah. and we watch porn. <laughs> this, is, this is a nude commune, right? Yeah. 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 Of course, yeah, we had, like we if, we're gonna more, if we're going to do the porn commune, Cara, it's going to be nude. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't know if it just seemed obvious to me or if it seemed obvious to everyone. <laughs> I didn't want to assume. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the psychic, so I know it's going to be nude. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I know. <laughs> 
So what is it, um, David, about writing the OTU pros, cons, and thoughts about a decision or problem that makes it easier to handle? Say that again. I think I caught what is it about writing out pros, cons, oh, pros and, and thoughts? Cons. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I remember that, that question. Um, so there are two... Honestly, this just came up <laughs> recently when I got there a little late last week. So there are two things about writing pros and cons. Um, is that uh, pros and cons typically, and uh, it's a good way to start in helping make decisions and gaining greater flexibility. But it's only a starting ground because what ends up happening with a pro-con sheet is that we get sucked into um a hyper behavior focus a hyper outcome focus and so we end up getting blind to all of the other possibilities so for instance really what is fomo fear of missing out really about well it's so focused on this one thing or this set of things that could have happened over there wait a minute why do you have to get stuck on those things you know, what is, what's the fundamental thing about the grass is greener on the other side practice? Well, why is that a problem? Well, because you're so focused on a particular behavioral outcome or particular situational outcome that, um, that you become blind. It's, it's back to that principle of the more you talk about how objective you think you are, <laughs> the less inclined you are to think about the ideas and thoughts that you're sharing. Same thing, with, and that's often what ends up happening with pro-con sheet. So what I often recommend is that you, you totally start there because it's a great way of identifying um, what might be missing or what your, um, some things that you, you know, uh, miss from a different situation or would like in a new one. But then you take the next step and take all those behaviors and tie them back to what are the, like, core value-based things that matter to you. Like, is this behavior about family? Is it about integrity? Is it about honesty? Is it about fitness? Is it about, you know, financial security? Is it about, uh, you know, social cohesion and relationships and um, say power and influence? Like all these are values that manifest their way through various stories into very, into different behavior. And if we focus only on the behavior, we're gonna miss out on one, why we care. <laughs> and two, we'll miss out on the flexibility that it comes from starting from a place of values, which incidentally are, in my view, um, the kind of cognitive flip side of our emotions. Like we only ever really feel things based on things that matter to us. I.e., why would you ever get upset about things you don't give a shit about? I mean, really, why? So, it, it, it's the same thing with love and security and everything else. Like we have emotional reactions because something more than one thing has been supported or violated and what those things are or what matters to us. And our emotions are big old ringing signs to totally mix metaphors there um, to let us know that something was important has, you know, is, is occurring in that moment. 
I, I kind of like the the ringing signs. I feel like that's a good <laughs> a good term for us in our our postmodern got, you know linguistic discussion here. <laughs> I've got trains on my mind for some reason. I'm like I'm hearing the the, the thing coming down. Ding 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 ding. ding like oh. Oh, trains. You should have told us we were doing trains this week. <laughs> <laughs> I had everybody. Now we come back to the commune and yeah. <laughs> Okay, not oh. safe for work any longer. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, and <laughs> and on that note, um, I guess we should probably start wrapping up here so we can get to the hangout session where we can talk about all sorts of other topics with the recording turned off. So, uh, uh, what say you we we move on to that sounds fabulous outstanding well once again thank you so much for coming and speaking with us about this topic tonight it is always a pleasure having you on here this is i think you said the sixth time mm -hmm. uh, that you've been here and every time has been fantastic and amazing and i've learned so much so i cannot wait for number seven which you know thank will you. hopefully be soon um so yeah, absolutely. Look for look for David to join us again. We're we're not allowing him to say no. <laughs> You're gonna be voluntold, David. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm in the habit of voluntelling people things lately. So you're you're next up. I'm, I'm telling you, you're coming back, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Uh, but but we really do enjoy having you. So thank you so much. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.